Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Hey, take your Bibles as you're standing, and uh, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. I hope all of you will be in the service tonight. I'll be preaching tonight. We're going to have a great time. I'll be sharing, I'll continue my sharing on the Gospel of Mark. I pray that you grow in the knowledge of the Lord, and I know that as you listen to this message today, you'll want more of the Word in your life. Wednesday's going to be a great time as Pastor Josh preaches. He's been doing a great series on Devoted. You'll want to be there. And today we opened up our children's and youth ministry today. So that's why we closed the back wall, and we figured you'd have a lot of your children there. And so it's been great. Let's read from Mark 10. I'm reading from the New International Version, starting to read at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Everybody say, he loved him. One thing you lacked, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is. For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. Everybody say the next phrase. All things are possible with God. Everybody say it again. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me. And the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times. Everybody say a hundred times. As much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone. You've given us a lamp and a light to know how we should walk, how we should live our lives. I pray, O Holy Spirit, you would come upon me. Give me great liberty in preaching because it's your word that we are sharing, not our opinion. And I pray your word will burn brightly in every heart. You'll give us revelation. Understanding will change the way we are. We'll become conformed into your image. And when we leave today, we will leave knowing that we've heard you speak to us. So, Holy Spirit, come. Come upon me and come on this congregation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In a psychology class, the professor asked his students this question. If your house is on fire and you only have five minutes 
before it's consumed, what would you be sure to to escape with? What would you be sure to escape the fire with? What would you take with you? Now, the reason the professor asked that question was because he was trying to pinpoint for the students the issue of what is truly valuable to them. As a Christian, what is your highest priority? What do you value the most? In the course of probing this issue of value, we will get a clearer picture of ourselves, of true salvation, and of Jesus. And I want to talk today on the subject, the ultimate value. Let's take a look at our text. I want you to keep your Bible open or your cell phone at the text because we're going to digest it like we're eating a good meal. You'll notice that Jesus is interrupted by a man who runs to him, kneels down before him, and asks the most important question one could ever ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's interesting that his, what he did says some things in its own right. His actions shows that he's desperate and that he's humble. He's willing to kneel before the Lord. His words reveal that he believes he can do something. Everybody say, do something. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he believes he can do something. And then he uses the word to inherit. Now, inherit means it's something that is passed on to you by right. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he believed that he was to receive something because he was a Jew. He was in covenant with God, and that whatever that was, it was to be eternal life. So he says, now, what must I then do to inherit what is mine, eternal life? Well, it's very interesting because Jesus doesn't answer him directly at that moment. He asks some questions. Jesus always asks a lot of questions because the questions are means by which we can probe where we are. And Jesus probes the man's understanding by asking a very strange question. Why do you call me good? You see, the man had probably, out of respect for Jesus, called Jesus good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But when Jesus said, no one is good except God alone, you're thinking, Jesus, what's up? What's the deal? Why are you saying this? It's because Jesus, in essence, is saying, you don't even really know who's talking to you today, do you? You see, what was standing before him that day was God in the flesh. His probing question, why do you call me good, was an attempt on the part of Jesus to elicit from that man an understanding of who stood before him. Because before him was the very answer to his question. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That very question he asked was personified in the person standing before him. He says, no one is good except God alone. He's moving him towards seeing Jesus for he is. He's God in the flesh. He's Messiah. In fact, he's the creator of all things who when he finished creation said, it is 
good. Yeah, the man didn't understand. But in Jesus' answer, <clears throat> he points the man to the Ten Commandments. And I want you to look at what he says here because it's very significant. He says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now when you read that statement, there's something missing, isn't there? There's the first three commandments missing, first four. Now you say, well, what's up? Well, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're recorded there in Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The first part is how one treats his fellow man. And the man affirms that he has kept those. But they're also the humanity's relationship with God and humanity's relationship with their fellow men. Those are the two parts. And he affirms, Jesus mentions only the part that has to do with one's relationship with his fellow man. And you say, well, why didn't he mention about the others? Like, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make for thyself any graven image, and on and on. Why didn't Jesus say those things? Because he was going to get to it in just one moment. But before Jesus says what he says, Mark wants you to know something. Take a look at the text. Jesus looked, this is verse 21, at him and loved him. Mark wants you to be absolutely certain that what's about to come out of Jesus' mouth isn't that he's trying to embarrass the man. He's not trying to make things hard for him. He loves him. He's going to answer his question. And whatever he's about to say, it comes out of a deep love for this man. Now Jesus puts his finger on the thing this young, young man had allowed to come between him and God. He had broken the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he didn't even know he did. You see, his God was money. So Jesus therefore says to him, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Because Jesus was attempting to try to get this man to deal with the God that kept him from eternal life. And then he said to this man three words, come follow me. Eternal life is not found in giving away all your money. It's found in following Jesus. The giving away, why he asked the man to give away his money was because that was his God. And as long as that was his God, he would never know the true and living God. Jesus said to him, he gave him an invitation that was the most profound invitation one could ever have. Come follow me. It was the same invitation he gave to Simon and Andrew in Mark 1.17. It was the same invitation he gave to James and John, their friends. It was the same invitation he gave to the tax collector in Mark 2. When the tax collector, Levi, was, was doing his work, he was a wealthy man. And he left all and he followed Jesus. Jesus was literally inviting this 
young man to be a disciple and thus receive eternal life. However, the man, instead of responding, it says his face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now think about what happened here. He chose his wealth over the answer to his question of how he could have eternal life. Jesus answered his question. Get rid of the idol and follow me. Now here's what's so interesting to me. It wasn't his possessions that were the problem. It wasn't that he was, had great wealth. That wasn't the problem. God's not concerned about whether you have wealth or don't have wealth. Whether you're poor or rich, that's not the issue. Here was the issue. The problem was, it was the value he placed on that wealth. You see, for him, they were more valuable than eternal life. Think about that for a moment. When Jesus looked around and he was wanting everyone to hear what he was about to say, that's why Mark says he looked around. He was trying to get all of their attention. He said, now listen, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's verse 23. Now here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying if you are wealthy, you can't go to heaven. He's not saying that wealth is a sin. He's not saying that. He's not saying that, that you're more spiritual if you're poor than if you're wealthy. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that your spiritual status is not based on your net worth. It's a whole different world. And Jesus is saying that people can easily put their trust in wealth if they're not careful instead of in Jesus. In fact, in the King James Version, you'll notice that the, that very verse, verse 24, says how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's very easy for you to trust your success, very easy to trust your wealth. I've seen so many over my 40 years of ministry on Maui who, because they made the greatest value of their life their money, instead of Jesus, lose out with God. They'd work so much they were never in church. They, they'd get offended any time an offering was given because money meant so much to them. And I saw it happen. What they were really saying is that my money is more important than my faith. And that's a tragic thing. Well, Jesus goes on to call his disciples children. And you'll notice this. It's very interesting to me. He says, um, <clears throat> he says children there in verse 20, uh, 24. He says, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Why does he call his disciples children? Well, just before this passage, in the passage we studied last Sunday night, you'll notice that Jesus uh, was indignant when they didn't let the children come to him because he said that the children, literally, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Kingdom belongs to such as these, the children. 
Tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. It's not childish, it's childlike. A child is dependent. A child is humble. A child is trusting. Those are the qualities you need to have if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. If you're also in love with yourself and everything is you, yourself, and I, you know, you'll never make it into God's kingdom. And so Jesus is making it very clear when he calls his disciples children. He's saying, this is what I want you to be, children in the kingdom of God. And listen to what he says. He says, uh, which is amazing to me, he says, it is impossible for anyone rich or poor to enter the kingdom of God. It can only happen by God's intervention. You see, Jesus gave an illustration to them of how impossible it is for a man to enter the kingdom of God. And he used pictures that, just like Pastor Colleen used apple trees and avocado trees and deers eating it. So that's the way Jesus taught. Thank you for teaching like Jesus, Pastor Colleen. He used a regular illustration. The biggest animal in Palestine at the time was a camel. And the smallest opening was the head of a needle, the eye of a needle. He said it's impossible for a rich man to, it's like a camel, to go through the eye of a needle. And, and you go, uh, the disciples, it says, were amazed. In fact, on two occasions here, it says they were amazed. Now you, you stop for a moment and say, why were the disciples so amazed? And they asked this question, well, then who can be saved? You see, in their mind, think about their mind. In their mind, if you were a wealthy Jew, you were blessed by God. Right? And we all desire prosperity, and that's a part of God's blessing on our life, is to prosper us. But in their mind, they thought, goodness, if, if the wealthy person can't go to heaven, who's blessed by God, then who in the world can go? And that's what they asked. They said, wait a minute. How does this work? So if anyone's going to get into the kingdom of God, it's going to be the rich person. And Jesus says, that isn't so. And so then there, but, but see, you have to understand. Um, they didn't understand what was going on. See, to them, the kingdom of God was an earthly kingdom. And so... How could Jesus set up a kingdom where the wealthy, who were the most powerful and the most influential, not be in it? That's what they're thinking. They're going, wait a minute, this is amazing. What's up, Jesus? How does this work? They still haven't gotten it yet, what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is not spatial. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is. And wherever the king is, those who submit to his authority enter into the kingdom of God. They hadn't got it yet. They're still lost in their concept of a Messiah coming who will rule and reign on planet Earth and, and defeating the Romans and setting up his kingdom in Jerusalem. Now that will happen when Jesus comes again. But when he came the first time, he came as a suffering servant so that all of us could be freed from the demonic powers of sin and death. And he gave his life as a ransom for us. They haven't understood that yet. And so Jesus very clearly points to his disciples and says, no one can save themselves. It doesn't matter if they're rich or if they're poor. No one can save themselves. Salvation is beyond human effort. 
In fact, that's why Jesus in this text in Mark is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to go there and die so that all of us could be forgiven of our sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the Lamb of God, which would take away the sins of the world. I've oftentimes asked, people have asked me, well, wait a minute, how come I can't get to heaven on my good works? Well, it's because the gap between heaven and earth is very large. And I've used this illustration many times when I witness to people about salvation. And it should be common to many of you that have listened to me preach. If we all lined up on the shore of Maui, let's suppose we all went to Kanaha, and we decided we're all going to swim to the mainland. Well, you may have a, a... a great competitive swimmer, he may get out there 10, maybe 20, maybe 30 miles. And then he's going to drown. And you're going to have the guy who's high on drugs get in there and drown in the next five yards. Nobody's going to make it to the mainland trying to swim. You're going to need an airplane or a boat. It's the same way between the gulf between fallen mankind and the holiness of God. There's no way we can become holy enough to enter his presence. We needed him to come to our world. And in him coming to our world, give us his holiness. Give us his righteousness. And that's what he did when Jesus came. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Paul the Apostle said, he took our sins onto himself so we could be saved. Whether we be rich or poor, we can never earn salvation. It is a gift, and we receive that gift by receiving Jesus. Well, Peter speaks up because this is really confusing to him, and he speaks for all the disciples. Because what he was feeling was what they were feeling. Where does uh, what you have said leave us? You know, hey, Jesus, we left all to follow you. Hello? Jesus' answer lets Peter know that they will have much more than what they've ever given up. And even face persecution, but they will always have much more. And they will receive eternal life. Listen to how Jesus said it. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And then finally, Jesus says some very shocking words that rattles all of our cages. He says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about Judgment Day. And that on Judgment Day, Jesus will see things much differently than the world's perspective. In the world, they may have thought you are a loser because you have faith and believe in Christ. But on Judgment Day, <laughs> the last, the loser, will be first. 
God's view of reality is much different than our clouded view in this world. When you say, what is God saying to us today? Well, there's many things, but I want to just pinpoint just a few. And I want you to allow the Lord to speak to you. I want to share about five things that I think will help you. Here's the first thing that I think God's saying to us. He's asking a question. What is truly valuable to you? What is truly valuable to us? This is Father's Day, and so I want to address fathers for just a moment. You know, men are unique just as women are unique. They think differently. Every cell in their body is different from the man's body. The woman's body is different. Everything's different. And the way they think is different. Even the way your brain functions, a man's brain functions in one way, a woman's functions another. You know that when you drive. Spatial realities are different between a man and a woman. A man feels like he's fine. The woman thinks he's going to crash his car into something. I won't ask how many know what I'm talking about. But there is a huge rise of emotion on the the passenger seat when you men are driving. And I, I, I see things clearly, but my wife sees it differently. So, And when she's driving, I'm freaked out most of the time. We just see things differently. It's just the way it is. And men, understand this, men view their lives not by anything other than by what they do. Men, you know, for example, when a group of men get together, the first thing they ask is, what do you do? That's not the first thing a woman asks other women. They ask, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have grandkids? And, and, and where do you get your nails done? And what? Right? Because it's a totally different world. There's nothing wrong with that. God made us different. Here's the problem, however, for men especially. And we are to provide for our family. Paul makes it clear that if we don't, we're worse than an infidel. So we do need to work and we do need to provide for our family. But sometimes we get so caught up that we sometimes think that the amount of money we have makes us successful. When that is not really the case. It's not how much money you have in the bank that makes you successful. It's how you handle what is truly valuable that makes you successful. And what is really valuable? Well, it's your relationship with the Lord. It's doing his will. It's your family, your wife, your children. Think about that. So sad because... You know, I've counseled many, many couples, and many of them got healed, but many couples lose their marriages because they forgot what is valuable. They forgot. And they don't really realize how valuable that person was to them until they're gone. That's the way we sometimes forget. We get a clouded reality. And Jesus is telling us, listen, the most important thing in life is your relationship with the Lord where you can have eternal life and then live for him. Keep in mind, we can't earn our way to heaven. Titus 3.5 says, And it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercies he saved us. And salvation is a gift that we receive. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, yet not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. We need to be mindful that 
What is of true value is the assurance that heaven is our home and that our family members and our friends, we yearn to see go there with us. The reason God called me to Maui 40 years ago wasn't just to have a job to pastor. I had a great job in one of the largest churches in the state pastoring. I didn't need to come to a small church of 100 people. He brought me here for one purpose, so you could be saved. You could go to heaven, and your whole family go to heaven. And I look forward to the day when I breathe my last, and I walk through those pearly gates, and all these folks from Maui come and say, Welcome home, Pastor. That, to me, will say it was well worth being your pastor. That's why I'm here. I'm not here for salary. I'm not here to build buildings. I'm here to get as many people from Maui saved. And wherever else he'll plant us. Come on, somebody give us praise. Give the praise to the Lord. Give him praise. Come on, somebody give him praise. Give Jesus praise. He doesn't want anyone to perish, all to come to repentance. That's why you're here. You're not here just to take up space. You're here because God wants to use you to see your family saved, see your friends saved, see your neighbors saved. But there's a second thing that God's speaking to us about, not just asking the question, what's the most, what is truly valuable to us? But secondly, we have to see ourselves as how vulnerable we are because We must be concerned that we don't love money. Money is not inherently wrong. It's the love of money that is. You see, it was the love of money that that rich young ruler who ran to Jesus and knelt and asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was his problem. He loved it. He loved it more than eternal life. He loved it more than fulfilling the command of Jesus to follow him. He loved money. Wasn't he wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy. He did good things. He, he, he observed the commands between man's relationship with mankind. But he put an idol in his life. God is speaking to us. Don't love money. For the love of money, Paul writes, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, wealth tends, think about it for a moment, wealth tends to fix our hearts to the world. And the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, love for the Father is not in him. God has no problem with you having lots of money. Build the biggest house you want. Drive the fanciest car you want. Have the biggest bank account you want. That doesn't bother God at all. His streets are made of gold in heaven. Get that in your brain. What concerns him is what money does to you. You see, our problem is that no matter how much we have, we always want more. I know what that's like. That's why I'm as fat as I am. I'm Italian. I eat one bowl of pasta. I want more. And when I 
was raised in my family, you didn't leave the table till it was coming out of your ears. Manja, grandma would say, manja, eat. If you didn't eat, you were offending grandma. Now she weighed three to four hundred pounds, so she was all hoping we'd look like her, and we've been working hard to do that. <laughs> but we all have that tendency, it doesn't matter how much we have, we always think we need more. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 6, But God in us with contentment is great gain. But thirdly, wealth can ruin our thinking if we're not careful. And we see everything in terms of, some, of what something costs instead of what its true value is. You say, what are you talking about? There are certain things that have great value that you can't put a price tag on. You know, I get, I get amused. I really do get amused by this. I saw this uh, interview with this lady who was wearing jeans. And these jeans were faded with holes in them. I mean, you know, they, you could see the knees and everything. And those jeans cost thousands of dollars. And I thought, who in their right mind would wear holy jeans and pay thousands of dollars for it? Shoot. I mean, think about it. You wear a pair of jeans to cover your body, not have your knees showing and everything else, right? So what, what happened there? Somehow they put a value on something that those who used to wear those jeans would laugh. That their jeans that were put in the storage somewhere 50 years later would be worth 100 times more than what they bought it for. Now the point of the matter is we tend to do that with things. And when we become so conscious of money we tend to begin to see things as how much does it cost instead of what is its true value. For example, you can't buy love. The fact that somebody would choose to love you, you can't pay for that. That woman there loves me. I could never buy that. In fact, my daughter loves me. I could never buy that. The greatest tragedy is you could have millions and millions of the dollars in the bank and nobody loves you. They only want to get from you what they can get from you, but they don't love you. How, how do you put a price tag on love? How do you put a price tag on happiness? You think wealth is going to make you happy? Well, you say, yeah, I can buy stuff. Okay. All right, so you buy that brand new car. Oh, it's so wonderful. You're driving it around. Oh, you're washing it, making it beautiful. Oh, you're bragging about, look at this car I got. Oh, it's wonderful. And in about a month or two, somebody will ding it. And that little ding on the side of that car will make you so mad you'll want to get rid of the car because now it's not perfect anymore. We're, we're really goofy. Strange people we are. You can't buy joy. You can't buy faithful relationships. You can't buy salvation. You can't even buy time. And 
And fourthly, we must use our wealth for a greater purpose than just spending it on ourselves. Otherwise, we can become proud, self-satisfied, and worldly. Paul says something very startling, it seems to me, because he's talking to Timothy, who at the time is pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19, he says, he says, command, everybody say command. Those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, excuse me, for our enjoyment. It was the hamburger I ate in between the service. (laughs) Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may hold on to life that is truly life. Listen to me. Whatever monies you have, it isn't yours. You're a steward of it. Take good care of it, but use it for his glory. You might ask, Pastor, why do you give so much? It's because I learned long ago, I'm only going to be here a certain period of time. And during that period of time, I want to do all I can to advance God's kingdom. Because once my time is up, it's another person's turn. And during that time, if he has blessed me with health and strength and the ability to speak, I'm going to speak as much as I can. If he's blessed me with wealth and has helped me to make good investments and he's given me resources, I'm going to use those resources for the kingdom. So I move my faith toward my giving so that wealth will never control me. And I'm going to be extremely prosperous, not because of anything other than God is proving himself to a people on Maui that God is the hundredfold God. And that brings me then to the very next thing. You cannot outgive God. That's what Jesus said to them. And Paul writes the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And in verse 11, he goes on to say, And you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through you, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Please, 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 never get offended. Never get offended by an offering. If you don't want to give in it, don't give, please. I, I don't demand, demand people. I don't call you on the phone and say, hey, how come you didn't tithe this Sunday? I don't ever do that. There are churches that do that. Are you aware of that? I'll never do that. Now, I know what you give every year. I, I go through all the giving because I'm your pastor. I'm your shepherd. And if you're not giving, I I pray and say, God, help them. I don't know what the problem is. I talked to one man one time. I said, how come you're not a tither? You've been in this church for years. He says, I'm so afraid. I'm afraid. I wanted to slap him. What are you afraid of? The promise of God? That he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings too big for you to gain? Your problem is you don't believe God's word. Smile at me. I'm preaching to you. Good. 
You're afraid of a coronavirus. I understand that. That could kill you. But there's other things that can kill you as well. Disobedience to God's word. That brings me then to the fourth thing. We will rise to the challenge to truly follow Jesus with our whole heart, no matter the cost. For this must be our top priority. And that's what Jesus was calling his disciples to. Jesus will not accommodate your little gods. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Think about this conversation he had with this rich young ruler. Now, if we were talking to this guy, we would have probably said it a lot different. We'd probably say, well, you know, you're wealthy. You don't have to worry about it. Don't go sell all you have. Just don't, don't worry about that. You're, you're fine. We'll just, you know, when you get around to it, just... Jesus doesn't do that. He puts his finger on the problem. Bing! You got a God in your life. It's your money. Bing! You got a God in your life. It's your lust. Bing! You got a God in your life. It's your anger. Bing! You got a God in your life. Get rid of it! It's destroying your ability to receive from God himself. We, we're just so namby-pamby most of the time. And I'm offended. Stop it already. All of us need to let God speak to us about the things in our life that are keeping us from what is really important. And that's following him. And I don't know what it is for your life. I'm thankful I've got a wife and I've got children that speak into my life and staff that speak into my life, and they say it's straight. And when they say it's straight and I realize, wait a minute, I'm off the beam, I repent and I repent quickly because I'm not going to let the devil rob from me. Are you still with me? Rise to the challenge. Keep in mind that Jesus will not accommodate your little gods. That is why we must repent and repent quickly. And it's interesting to me. Did you know Jesus didn't beg the man to stay? Did you notice that? He pinpoints the God that's in his life and says, get rid of it. And the guy goes away sad and says, oh, man, that's bad. I can't do that. Jesus didn't say, oh, oh listen, listen. Listen, I tell you what we'll do. I may have been too harsh on you. He doesn't beg him to follow him. Did you know Jesus never begged anyone to follow him? He gives a command. You say, well, why would he do that? Because kings command. Kings don't beg. Kings command. Kings say, do this. You have a choice. You either do it or you don't. And you can go to hell if you want to go to hell. That's your choice. But don't give me this nonsense. Well, I just, I'm just not ready. Who are you talking to? You're not talking to me. You're talking to God. You ever going to be ready? I don't think so. You've been bound by your lust. You've been bound by your sin. The only way you're ever going to get rid of it is to face it and say, Jesus I need you. Jesus didn't beg him to stay. Jesus let him go. He made his own decisions. 
But the final thing Jesus speaks to us, are you ready for judgment? Do you see life from God's perspective or do you see it from the world's perspective? The issue of value has to be seen from God's perspective. What is valuable to God? Make that what's valuable to you. Prayer is valuable to God. Serving is valuable to God. Loving is valuable to God. Marriage is valuable to God. Hey, I can go on for hours of what's valuable to God. Being in church is a value to God because he created the church. It's his bride. And that's why you're here. One day, we'll all stand before the Lord. My job, and I've told you a thousand times, is to get you ready for judgment day. I pray you're all ready. Because I want you to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. What's the ultimate value for you? Well, I can't answer it for your life, but I can sure answer it for mine. I made a commitment to Jesus when I was a boy. That's been my highest value my whole life. And I've yearned to serve him with everything I am, and even now that I'm old, I ask him to give me the strength in the days he's given me that I might please him with my life. I pray that's the same for you. Please, make it your life. Some of you are young. You have a whole life ahead of you. What are you going to do with your time? Don't waste it. I'm going to sow my wild oats. You're going to go choked by those wild oats. Why don't you choose to live for him? When it's all said and done, we're all in heaven together. We'll rejoice when we hear Jesus say to you, I'll be in the sideline looking on, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll say, he was one of the members of my church. (laughs) Stand to your feet. Come on, let's give praise to God. He is our ultimate value. Come on, let's give him praise. Lord, I praise you and I worship you and I thank you and I love you. You're so awesome. Thank you for such faithful people who day every day, every day, they serve you with their whole heart. They give their lives to you. They pray. They seek your face. They live holy. They've made you their highest value. They chose. They chose to follow you. You know, in Hawaiian custom, stories would end with good endings, which is what I always like. I hate to go to a movie with a sad ending. If it's a sad ending, forget it. I ain't going. Because there's enough sadness in the world today, and I believe in the eternal hope of God's grace and goodness. And Hawaiians felt that way, I think, especially after the great revival in the 1830s, and many of their songs reflected it. And you know, they wrote a song, which is this story. It's called Kanaka Vaivai, as you know. And in the song, they changed the ending. They change it to a good ending. <laughs> Let me walk to paradise with you, Lord. They, they, they just couldn't help themselves. They had to believe that that guy turned around <laughs> and followed Jesus. I hope that was the case, and I hope it is for you. 
So I want every head bowed and everyone. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.